Welcome to part two of my special supplemental section devoted to the Marco Polo Biden report, which was produced in uh, late 2022 by an independent research group known as Marco Polo. And, uh, and what they did is they produced an almost 650-page report that extensively covers what they researched on the Biden laptop. Now, what I'm covering here won't cover all 640-something pages of it, but it will be the highlights of the content. And so far in the first episode, I covered much of the background uh, leading up through the family events. And I'm going to start with this section with the timeline. Now, I do want to put a disclaimer on here. The the bulk, the vast bulk of the information that I'm about to provide, I am pulling straight from the report created by Marco Polo. It belongs to them. It is their research. I am not intending in any way whatsoever to claim that this information is mine or that I researched the content. Uh, it is all their working, all their sweat and toil. And uh, I highly recommend that you go online and you find their report, Marco Polo, and it's the Biden report. If for no other reason um, than because of the unbelievable amount of detailed pictorial information that is in this thing. Now, unlike books that have been produced or documentaries, things of that nature, this is loaded with visual evidence of screenshots and documentation and links to all of it uh, in extensive footnotes uh, produced by Marco Polo. It is, it's a visual as well as a written r- report, unlike anything that I've ever seen to any extent. I wish that I, there have been other investigations in the past that I wish that had been given the scrutiny and given the d- discipline that this report has been given. And unfortunately, you haven't heard much about this. You've probably never heard of Marco Polo and their Biden report. And uh, and I'm sure that that's because of who it's referring to and the, the media that will not talk about it. Uh, but again, this information is not mine. It is something that their group uh, painfully uh, put together and precisely have, have provided. Now, I will also say that you can you will tell that it has the same bias that I have in, in its personal opinion toward the Biden family and the events that happen and, and the cover-up of these events. Uh, they do not mince any words when it comes to their impressions of how all of this information should have been released and yet wasn't and the, the importance of it in the grand scheme of the corruption. So having said that, I'm going to jump in now with the second part uh, that starts out with the timeline. And with the foregoing background that I presented in Section 1, here's a comprehensive timeline of the Biden laptop saga. In 2010, March 2nd, John Paul Mac Isaac registered the Mac Shop Incorporated in Delaware. May 7th, 2013, Hunter received two waivers, one for his age and a previous cocaine offense, in order to be commissioned as an ensign in the Navy Reserves at a sedentary post in the Public Affairs Unit. Then in June of 2013, on the very first day of his Navy duty in Norfolk, Virginia, Hunter failed a drug test. Then on December 2nd, 2013, Hunter flew with Joe on Air Force Two to China and met with his business partners, which included executives at the state-owned Bank of China, and introduced Joe to one of them. Then, in 2014, February 16, Hunter and his attorney, Thomas Gallagher, were notified by the Assistant Secretary of the Navy, Juan Garcia III, that Hunter had been administratively discharged for cocaine use. 
Then on February 21, 2014, after months of Western-backed protests, the Ukrainian parliament voted to oust President Viktor Yukonovich. In the following days, Yukonovich sought exile in Russia. March 16, 2014, in response to an article that Hunter emailed to his longtime business partner, Devin Archer, entitled, Joe Biden Lurks Behind Every U.S. Action on Ukraine, Archer responded, There is a, quote, unique timing here in this upcoming opportunity. One door closes, another opens. April 1, 2014, Archer joined the board of Burisma, a Cypriot-registered gas company in the Ukraine, which was co-founded by Mykola Dolchevsky, who served as an advisor to Yanukovych, even though Archer had no experience working in the Ukraine and did not speak the language. April 12, 2014, the White House released a statement announcing Joe would visit the Ukraine in 10 days to, quote, consult on the latest steps to enhance Ukraine's short- and long-term energy security. April 13th at 12.43 a.m., Hunter emailed Archer an extremely long memo about leveraging Joe's position as the public figure of the U.S. administration's policy in the Ukraine. Quote, The Burisma contract should begin now, not after the upcoming visit of my guy, Joe. That Burisma contract should include a retainer in the range of 25 k per month with additional fees where appropriate for more in-depth work to go to the BSF. Boyge Shiler Flexler, LLP, for our protection. April 16th, Archer visited Joe at the White House under the pretense of his son's school project. April 18th, 2014, Hunter joined the board of Burisma, even though he too had zero experience working in the energy sector or the Ukraine and did not speak the language. April 21st, 2014, Joe arrived in the Ukraine. During the transatlantic flight, Joe's staff briefed reporters about the U.S. plan to help the Ukraine extract their unconventional gas resources, for which Burisma held a current license. April 23, 2014, Archer gave an interview, which was later posted on Burisma's website, about how Archer knows the U.S. Secretary of State, John Kerry, and Joe. April 25, 2014, Joe was reported as the public face of the administration's handling of the Ukraine. April 28, 2014, authorities in the United Kingdom froze $23 million from the London bank accounts of Lochevsky, one of Burisma's key owners. May 12, 2014, Burisma publicly announced that Hunter joined its board. May 13, 2014, Burisma posted a photo of Joe and Archer at the White House on their website. Joe's lawyer demanded that Burisma remove the photo, Eventually, Burisma complied with the demand. September 10, 2014, Archer committed one of his many Foreign Agent Registration Act violations by advocating to U.S. officials at the U.S. Embassy in Kiev as an unregistered agent on behalf of Burisma, his foreign principal. 2015, February 16, Hunter violated the Foreign Agent Registration Act and lobbied the U.S. State Department on behalf of Lochevsky to strong-arm the Mexican government in an effort to secure safe passage for Lochevsky's trip to Mexico. Lochevsky was justifiably worried about being denied entry. April 17, 2015, Vadim Pozarsky, an in-house advisor to Burisma's board, 
thanked Hunter for the opportunity to meet with Joe the previous evening at the Cafe Milano restaurant in D.C. The sitting Prime Minister of Kazakhstan, Karim Masivov, who was recently arrested for treason, was invited to the dinner as well, alongside Kazik oligarch Kenes Rakishev. December 2nd, 2015, Hunter and Archer, along with their ever-present handler Eric Schwerin, received real-time White House conference call notes regarding Joe's upcoming travel to the Ukraine from Blue Star Strategies, whose leaders, Sally Painter and Karen Tramontano, were illegally representing Burisma by not registering as agents of a foreign principal, Burisma, with the DOJ, per the Foreign Agents Registration Act. December 6, 2015, Joe's own staff recommended that he, quote, not get into naming names or accusing individuals in response to the potential question, do you think Lochevsky is corrupt? December 8, 2015, the New York Times published a story about Hunter and the investigation into Burisma by Ukrainian prosecutors. Quote, the credibility of the vice president's anti-corruption message may have been undermined by the association of his son, Hunter Biden, with one of Ukraine's largest natural gas companies, Burisma Holdings, and with its owner, Mykola Lochevsky. 2016, February 18. The White House released a statement praising Ukrainian President Petro Poroshenko for firing the Ukrainian prosecutor, Viktor Shokin, mere weeks after Joe threatened Poroshenko by withholding a $1 billion loan guarantee if Shokin, who was investigating Burisma at the time, were not fired. May 26, 2016. John Flynn, an advisor to the vice president, emailed, ordinarily classified, notes about Joe's impending phone call with Poroshenko to Hunter's business email address. 2019, April 12th at 6.50 p.m. Eastern. An inebriated hunter dropped off three Apple laptops at the Mac shop for repair. One laptop was unable to be salvaged. The second needed an external keyboard, which Mac Isaac provided, while the data on the third laptop would be able to be transferred to an external hard drive, which Hunter agreed to provide. April 17, 2019, a.m., Hunter returned to the Mac shop with a new Western Digital external hard drive on which to transfer the data from the third laptop. April 17, p.m., Mac Isaac completed the data recovery. April 25, 2019, Joe announced his candidacy for President of the United States. July 25, 2019, President Trump called Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky. April 24, 2019, Congresswoman Nancy Pelosi, Democrat, California, announced the commencement of a presidential impeachment inquiry into President Trump's call with Zelensky. October 9, 2019, Mac Isaac's father, Richard Stephen Mac Isaac, a graduate of the U.S. Air Force Academy and retired colonel, was rebuffed and told to lawyer up at the FBI's Albuquerque field office after he offered to give an agent at the FBI a copy of the hard drive. November 1, 2019, Agent Wilson called Steve Mac Isaac to request contact information for his son. November 21, 2019, Agent Wilson and his colleague Agent Zilek went to Mac Isaac's home and spoke with him in his living room about the laptop. Agent Wilson asked Mac Isaac 
if he had seen any child pornography on the Biden laptop. Afterwards, Agent Zilek sent John Paul Mac Isaac a text message and requested a timeline of the events leading up to reaching out to the FBI. December 9th, 9.52 a.m. Eastern, Agent Zilek asked Mac Isaac for the serial number of the external drive. December 9th, 2019, at 11 a.m. Eastern, Agents Wilson and Zilek appear at Mac Isaac's shop and handed him a subpoena for Hunter's laptop and the external hard drive that the laptop data had been transferred onto. When leaving, Agent Zilek told Mac Isaac, quote, In our experience, nothing ever happens to those that don't talk about these things. Mac Isaac was so thrilled that the laptop was leaving his shop that he, quote, didn't hardly notice the odd instructions or the thinly veiled threat. An hour later, Agent Zilek called Mac Isaac as the agents, inexplicably, needed help accessing the drive, indicating that the drive was never sent to the FBI forensics lab near Quantico, Virginia. December 16, 2019, Congressman Jerry Nadler, Democrat New York, released a report outlining the Democrats' case for impeaching President Trump, which relied on false information about an interagency consensus regarding Shokin needing to be removed as Ukraine's Prosecutor General. December 18, 2019, President Trump was impeached by the U.S. House of Representatives. 2020, February 5th, President Trump was acquitted on both impeachment counts by the U.S. Senate. February to March 2020, after exasperating rebuffs, Steve Mac Isaac spoke with a staff member for Secretary Lindsey Graham, Republican of South Carolina, about the laptop situation and the FBI slow walk. After ignoring Steve for a week, the staff member refused to cooperate with Mac Isaac and did not follow up. May 19th and 21st, 2020. John Paul Mac Isaac's uncle, Ron Scott, who was also a retired Air Force colonel, sent a one page summary email and fax to Judicial Watch about the laptop and included a redacted copy of the subpoena. Scott received no response from Judicial Watch or its president, Tom Fitton. May 29, 2020. Scott sent a fax to the office of the Senator Ron Johnson, Republican of Wisconsin, about the laptop, and again included a redacted copy of the subpoena. Scott received no response from Senator Johnson's office. August 28, 2020. Mac Isaac sent Robert Bob Costello, an attorney in New York who counted Ruby Giuliani as a client, a copy of the hard drive. September 2020. The intelligence community alerted Facebook to, quote, private meetings of a, quote, foreign manipulation attempt involving, quote, a trove of documents and directed Facebook to, quote, view the trove with suspicion. October 14, 2020. The New York Post published a story about an email on the Biden laptop which proved beyond a reasonable doubt that Joe met with Hunter's foreign business partners, exposing the lie that Joe had, quote, never discussed Hunter's overseas business dealings. October 19, 2020, former U.S. intelligence community spooks released a public statement on Hunter Biden emails. November 2, 2020, Mac Isaac was forced to shut down in-person consultations at his repair shop due to the numerous threats that he received. December 31, 2020, Mac Isaac, through his long-term business agent, Lori Wardell, 
filed papers entitled Dissolution Short Form for the Mac Shop, Inc., thereby closing his repair shop. 2021. March. Mac Isaac was forced to start a new laptop repair business, Johnny Mac's, near Denver. April 2, 2021. Hunter finally admitted, after six months of repeated denials, that the laptop Mac Isaac repaired certainly could be authentic, but that it also could have been Russian intelligence. August 30, 2021. Obama appointee Judge Beth Bloom dismissed Mac Isaac's defamation case in the Southern District of Florida against Twitter with prejudice and ordered Mac Isaac to pay Twitter's legal fees. November 4, 2021, the FBI conducted a raid on the homes of two people linked to Project Veritas in an effort to find incriminating evidence about their exposure of Ashley Biden's diary. November 6, 2021, the FBI conducted yet another raid in the early morning with a battering ram on the apartment of James O'Keefe, the founder of Project Veritas, over Ashley's diary. 2022, January 30th. The New York Post and Breitbart published stories about a subpoena from the District of Delaware to J.P. Morgan that Marco Polo had received from a whistleblower. The subpoena for the Biden's wire transfers to the Bank of China was sent on May 15, 2019. February 1, 2022. The editorial board of America's oldest newspaper called for a special counsel to be appointed to investigate Hunter, citing the subpoena that Marco Polo provided to the publication. March 12, 2022, Mac Isaac revealed that the IRS and an executive agency in Delaware harassed him. March 16, 2022, the New York Times grudgingly admitted that the Biden laptop was authentic. May 14, 2022, Marco Polo launched a keyword searchable database, BidenLaptopEmails.com, which contained more than 128,000 emails from the abandoned device. June 8, 2022, the New York Post reported that Marco Polo had gained access to a backup file of Hunter's iPhone XS, which was stored on the abandoned laptop. The invoice with Hunter's professionally corroborated signature for the repair, which Hunter never paid, was seen in the Marco Polo report. Additionally, the invoice from Mac Isaac's inventory tracking software was used as an exhibit in his unsuccessful defamation lawsuit against Twitter. The text at the bottom of Hunter's signed invoice clearly stipulated the consequences if he did not return to the repair shop to pick up the laptop. Quote, Equipment left with a Mac shop after 90 days of notification of completed service will be treated as abandoned and you agree to hold the Mac shop harmless for any damage or loss of property. In the event of non-payment, the Mac shop reserves the right to remove any equipment or parts installed. After receiving threats for over a month, Mac Isaac released five videos which provided more background. The transcripts of the five videos are in the endnotes of this report. The aforementioned subpoena issued by Assistant U.S. Attorney for the District of Delaware, Leslie Wolf, which was signed by Agent Wilson, included the serial number of the Biden laptop, which matched the metadata on our copy of its hard drive along with the serial number of the external hard drive onto which Mac Isaac copied the laptop's data. As was the case with his longtime business partner and convicted felon, Devin Archer, Hunter graduated from Yale around the same time as Leslie Wolf. Leslie's husband, Daniel Wolf, 
just so happened to be a professor at the same school where Joe ran the Biden Center for Diplomacy and Global Engagement, the University of Pennsylvania. Leslie's husband teaches at the medical school. The university, which controlled the funding and budget for the Biden Center, received more than $22 million from anonymous Chinese donors, $15 million of which came in just a two-month span from March to May of 2018, thereby repeatedly and blatantly violating Title 20 of the U.S. Code, Section 1011FE. The federal statute does not permit anonymity to foreign donations over a $250,000 threshold. The final document exchanged between the FBI and Mac Isaac was a receipt for property form. The case ID confirmed the money laundering investigation was being conducted by the Baltimore field office. Besides inadvertently misspelling the surname of Agent Wilson, the Twitter threads from Adam Housley and two anonymous users turn out to be extremely precocious and thorough. If not but for Mac Isaac's courage, the feds could have buried the Biden laptop under Rule 6E, the grand jury secrecy guidelines from the Rules of Criminal Procedure. After Hunter realized that he had, in fact, forgotten to pick up his laptop, he dispatched his lawyer and fixer, George Maceres, to call Mac Isaac and ask, very diplomatically, we are sure, what in the hell was going on. Apparently, Maceres had been contacted by the New York Post to comment on the materials that the Post would publish the next day, October 14, 2020. Hunter needed Maceres to run interference, and quickly. Hunter evidently told Maceres that he dropped off the laptop in 2017, which Maceres then conveyed to Mac Isaac. In fact, Hunter had abandoned the laptop two years later in April 2019. Third-party sources confirmed the authenticity of the email. In a republic with even the patina of an impartial press corps, the email would have inspired curiosity and fresh reporting. That completes the timeline section of the Marco Polo Biden report. And so now we pick up with the section on the four families. According to Joe's biographer, Jules Whitaker, the Biden family puts loyalty, quote, above all other considerations. Ergo, it is not only prudent, but also necessary to get a firm grasp of the so-called four families, the four children of Joe Sr. and Gene Biden and their progeny. Personal sidebar on how the four siblings break down in their part of the family tree, uh, from least to greatest. Frankie Biden has two daughters, neither married, no grandchildren. Jimmy Biden has three children, two grandchildren. Valerie Biden has three children, two grandchildren. Uh, and their family will come back up in the mix of the report going forward. But the largest portion of the family tree falls under Joe Biden Jr., where he has had four children, three of which with his original wife, Bo, Hunter, and Amy, and then one daughter, Ashley, with his current wife, Jill. Of those original three, Bo uh, had two children, one that he named after his brother, Hunter, and then Hunter has had five children, three of which with his original wife, and then one each with two other women, and one of those he named after his brother, Bo. Ashley Biden is married, but has had no children, and she's the recipient of all the flack regarding her diary uh, discussing inappropriate showering with her father, Joe. 
back to the report. It's not particularly helpful to think of the Biden political mafia as a spiderweb. You'll get bogged down in the voluminous tentacles of the enterprise. Instead, consider the family as four packs of ravenous hyenas that, like the structure and makeup of a mafia, get larger as you move down the trunk of the family tree. Like any mafia, whether in construction, steel, or oil, the Bidens have had their fair share of arrests and brushes with the law. Even though the family's currency is different, what is being purchased is the same, power and influence. Instead of pizza parlors or painting services, the Bidens use government relations and consulting. The following is a mere sampling of the always nepotistic, oftentimes corrupt, and sometimes illegal schemes orchestrated by Joe and his family. Now, Bo Biden, Joe's son, gave a sweetheart deal to a member of the DuPont family who had raped his own three-year-old daughter. The rapist received only probation and served no time in prison. The DuPont family, by the way, has been connected to Joe for more than five decades. Then you have Ron Oliveri, Bo Biden's father-in-law, who received an $80,000-plus annual contract for event planning services from the Bo Biden Foundation for the Protection of Children, even though Oliveri was a longtime dry cleaner with zero discernible experience in event planning. Then there was Joel Secundi, Bo Biden's brother-in-law, was a White House liaison at the Department of Commerce during Joe's vice presidency. Then you have Ashley Biden, Joe's daughter, was arrested in Chicago in 2002 for obstructing a police officer after Ashley's friend threw an object at the officer, but Ashley faced no consequences. Then you had Howard Crean, Joe's son-in-law, promoted his own venture capital firm while on Air Force Two. And you have Valerie Biden Owens, Joe's sister, and Valerie's daughter, Casey Owens, who both funneled over 50000 from Joe's campaign to their consulting business in a single Senate election cycle. Then you have Jack Owens, Joe's brother-in-law, who helped Jimmy Biden, Joe's younger brother, secure a half-million-dollar loan in 1975 worth some $2.5 million in 2022, which Jimmy then defaulted on. Then you have Missy Owens, Joe's niece, who secured a top job in the U.S. Department of Commerce when Joe was vice president and then became a six-figure lobbyist and representative for Coca-Cola and GM. Then you have Kufay Biden Owens, Joe's nephew, also a lawyer, who has organized his mother Valerie's speaking engagements for years and helped negotiate her lucrative book called Growing Up Biden. You have Casey Owens, Joe's niece, was the special assistant to the senior coordinator for China during her uncle's vice presidency and even made appearances in diplomatic cables. Then you have Jimmy Biden, Joe's younger brother, who secured over half a million dollars in private mortgage loans for a vacation home in Florida from John Hanansky, a donor to Joe, immediately following Hanansky's multi-million dollar loan from the U.S. government to sell luxury cars in the Ukraine. Then you have Frankie Biden, Joe's younger brother, who became a U.S. Capitol elevator operator during Joe's first year in the Senate and subsequently secured government loans for a Costa Rican solar farm. You have Frankie Biden, who flaunted his family's last name in an advertisement for a charter school scam. A reporter from Delaware, Sam Waltz, 
recorded of Biden's political and business operation as it was described by Joe's own Senate staff. Quote, Joe says that when someone helps his family, it's just like helping Joe. Indeed, from vacation homes to shell corporations, anything even adjacently touching the Bidens was a family affair. Stunned with this behavior, Tony Bobulinski quipped early on in their ill-fated venture to another would-be Biden partner, James Gillier, about Jimmy's encroachment. Quote, what's the deal with Jim Biden? He wasn't a part of the discussion, but now seems like a focal point. Gillier said that with Hunter's demons, it would be good to have Jimmy as a backup. He strengthens our unique selling proposition to the Chinese as it looks like a truly family business. All that Gillier could muster up in response to Tony's repeated questions was that Jimmy was an unsolicited, quote, consultant. On what matters did Jimmy consult for the team? When it came to detailed business strategies and operations, precisely nothing. Jimmy wanted to use Joe's relationships with foreign leaders and oligarchs, forged through Joe's public office for the benefit of the Biden family via their One Belt, One Road joint venture with CEFC Energy, Sinohawk. What Bobolinsky did not realize is that in the Biden clan, the spoils would go to all. As the report will demonstrate, Jimmy's behavior was akin to a pack of hyenas after one of them had made a kill. Like any pack of hyenas, the Bidens had to deal with internal fighting. Shortly after Bo's death, Hunter and Bo's widow, Haley Oliveri Biden, began an affair, which Joe praised in March 2017. Quote, We are all lucky that Hunter and Haley found each other as they were putting their lives together again after such sadness. They have mine and Jill's full and complete support, and we are happy for them. Hunter's then-wife, Kathleen, had kicked Hunter out of the family home on Laurelborough Road in D.C. the previous summer. Based on screenshots of articles and Haley's iMessages with Hunter's daughters, Hunter was aware of the press coverage and stress his adulterous relationship caused. Needless to say, Hunter and Kathleen's divorce was not simple or pretty. One particular ugly dispute featured Hunter's attorney, Sarah Mancinelli, drafting an incredible letter to Kathleen's attorney, Rebecca Sullivan, which denounced a supposed blackmail attempt by Kathleen and Hunter's classmate at Georgetown, Chris D'Amato, concerning Joe's financial prospects after leaving the vice presidency. Quote, Hunter has learned that Kathleen intends, upon advice of Hunter's former close friend and now a de facto advisor to Kathleen, Chris D'Amato, the son of former three-term U.S. Senator from New York, Alphonse D'Amato, to release purportedly compromising photos of Hunter to the media. In addition to the continued threats to release photographs to the media, Hunter has learned that Kathleen's settlement posture is premised on her expectation that Hunter's father will backstop any financial arrangement eventually reached between the parties. Indeed, Kathleen's expectation has ever been communicated to Hunter's father. Given that her support is forever tied to Hunter's ability to earn an income, Kathleen should be as committed to Hunter's success as he is. End quote. One year after kicking Hunter out of the house, Kathleen sent him the following email. Quote, Not only did you cheat on me, Viagra, and Cialis, but you actually bought her, Haley, expensive gifts. Kathleen also, understandably, mourned the fact that she had, quote, lost the family that I thought was mine. A little personal sidebar, I am assuming that the reference here to Viagra and Cialis were nicknames of their children. So she is implying here that he cheated on her 
and their two children. It's kind of a sick joke, but anyway, back to the report. Over three years later, Kathleen's relationship with Hunter was still rocky as she badgered him about expenses for the girls and her monthly payment that he was legally required to pay. Even though they continued to come together for birthdays, their relationship had completely deteriorated due to Hunter's spending and addictions. In an iMessage to Joe on February 6, 2019, Hunter complained about Kathleen's insistence that he follow the terms of their divorce settlement. Quote, I cashed Maisie's college fund to which she said, I don't care where you get the money, tuitions are your responsibility too. After the New York Post broke the news about their truly family affair, Hunter and Haley moved in together and rented a waterfront home in Annapolis, Maryland, in August 2017. Along with the posh rental home, the expected cash windfall from Bo's life insurance payment of $2 million plus definitely afforded Haley and the family other amenities, including a new BMW X5 SUV. While she lived in Annapolis, Haley sent her two children, Natalie and Hunter Biden Jr., to the upscale key school. Even though there was documented evidence of liquid assets and hundreds of thousands of dollars for fur coat shopping sprees and drugs, Haley did not pay tuition for her children at the posh day school. Haley was subsequently sued and after several months, quietly settled the case. Only one media outlet in the nation, the Capital Gazette, covered the debacle, which was resolved just three months after Joe announced his candidacy for president. Even in the midst of hideous family controversies, Hunter still treasured his clan. Two days after Joe received the Presidential Medal of Freedom from Obama, Hunter defended his Aunt Valerie and Uncle Jimmy from what he thought was Joe's unfair characterization of them in his acceptance speech. Hunter's note to Joe, which he saved in his laptop notes, accused him of, quote, finally crossing the line, and that he and Joe's younger siblings wouldn't, quote, be publicly and privately humiliated while those that publicly and privately humiliate us are held to the world as the loves of your life. Despite the divisions within what has been dubbed the Jerry Springer first family, Hunter summed up the Biden's modus operandi quite well. I don't belong to an administration. I belong to a family. And with that, we end the first section of the Marco Polo Biden report. We will pick up next session with uh, part two, which is the business-related crimes. (music) 